on this episode of the program, Jim Jordan fails, and we run over all of the updates on fundraising with the money man, Dave Leventhal. It's all coming up. This is made possible by Oh Them Bones, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, and Craig. Welcome, everybody, to the Politics, Politics, Politics program for Wednesday, October 18th, 2023. Your old pal, Justin Robert Young, joining you temporarily relocated from our studio in Austin, Texas, because final stages of remodeling. This episode and the next episode should be the last ones that we are on the road, but then we will be back, and that is all that matters. And we've got... uh, a hell of an episode here uh, for you today, as we mentioned at the top. Not only uh, will we have Dave Leventhal, the money man, joining us, but also the latest. And this one's going to get out early because I don't know exactly how late things are going to go in the House. But it looks as if Jim Jordan's push for the speakership of the United States of America is indeed on life support. A reminder that you can only drop four votes if you are a Republican because that's you have a five-seat majority and you can't tie. So all you can do is attempt to get to 217 and Jim Jordan fell short of that during a vote today. 20 defectors uh, with the names being all over the map. Some voted McCarthy, some voted Scalise, some voted Tom Emmer. Just, you know, let me put it this way. The Republicans in the House are embarrassing themselves. They've embarrassed themselves from the moment that this McCarthy thing happened. Because we are rapidly getting to the punchline of this joke. A joke for which some people took the setup seriously. The setup, of course, being that Matt Gates did this because things needed to change and that there were very, very serious uh, issues that needed to be addressed, up to and including the national debt and the way that the House was run. And a lot of people, including me, agree with some of the points that he made. But We get to this disconnect, a disconnect between intent and practice. You can intend to lose 30 pounds and be absolutely shredded. You can intend that. You can loudly say, this is better. And the way that we are going now is not going to get us there. That's allowed. You can do that. And you want to know what? A lot of people might agree with you. The question is the practice. So 
if, for example, you say, I want to lose 30 pounds and I want to have abs. And then the solution to that is that we are no longer going to be on the diet that we're on. And instead, we're going to get so hungry, we go and eat McDonald's. Then have you gotten closer or further away to your goal? Because if those issues that you cared about so desperately were really a North Star for you, would you have plunged this house, this party into such chaos? And what we're seeing right now is that there might not be another candidate that can get to 217 aside from Kevin McCarthy a few weeks ago. That was thrown away with the idea, uh, the, the, the idea being that somebody else would be able to do it. And at least as of right now, that's not the case. And at least as I speak to you at 245 East or sorry, uh, Central Time on Tuesday, October 17th, Jim Jordan doesn't know when he's going to bring people back to the floor. And there are reports saying that he's going to lose votes. Which if he does that, then it's back to the drawing board. Now, another candidate has to try to wrangle. And guess what? If a portion of the 20 that didn't vote for Jordan voted for McCarthy or voted for people because they believed that McCarthy got ram uh, got railroaded or Steve Scalise got railroaded, then if Jim Jordan has the is cleared off the decks, there's going to be barnacles that believe that he got railroaded. And so we're just going to snowball resentment until nobody is able to come close to 217 because everybody is presenting somebody else from getting to 217 because they don't think that they are perfect. Well, here's the reality for the Republicans. Perfect is the enemy. Perfect is the enemy of good. And right now, the Republicans, if they weren't actively shooting themselves in the foot, would have things pretty good. They tend to be on the side of the people. Kevin McCarthy's approval rating was pretty good before he got thrown out. The House Republicans' approval rating was pretty good before they got thrown out. Because they are on the right side of the economy. Joe Biden is not particularly popular, so investigating him will not punish you. And we have this situation that is happening in Israel, and we're going to get to that during the update. These are important moments that they are currently missing. Like a parent so wrapped up in their own lives that they are not there for their own children's development. This is absentee governance from the Republicans. And there's the update. I mean, I don't know what to say other than I guess we're going to start lining up other people because it does not look like Jordan has the votes. And I don't know if anybody else is going to have it. Because like I said before, I think now there's going to be bitter Jordan supporters. At some point, somebody is going to have to be the peacemaker. 
Somebody is going to have to be the broker. And we've yet to see that so far. It certainly is not coming from beyond the house. There is nobody with the kind of gravitas to settle things down. And so as I speak to you, friends, at 3 p.m. Central Time, we are still in the wilderness. And I don't know how we're getting home. This is your update brought to you by TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Again, TakePoliticsSeriously.com is where you need to go if you would like two bonus episodes each and every week of this very program. The Sunday show that came out uh, on Monday where we break down all of the Sunday uh, clips featured cameos from my niece, nephew, and mom. My mom, Gloria Young, live in the booth on the Sunday show. Good times. Uh, and that's pretty much the end of the good times. If you wanted good times, then uh, uh, please leave the room. A chaotic situation in Gaza unfolding as I am recording this. A Baptist hospital struck by what Hamas is claiming was an IDF missile. What Israel is claiming was an errant Hamas missile that they were attempting to shoot into Israel. Either way, at the moment, we are uh, bereft of actual facts here. So we're, we're going to just report the fact that the hospital has been destroyed. And estimates are that it is in the hundreds of deaths. This has sent... Uh, protesters out in the streets of the West Bank. It will assuredly only spike past here. Uh, We will keep an eye on it, but this is the kind of stuff that happens when you are looking at a war in Gaza. Now, this level of destruction for this level of civilians, rare tragic and you know to go any further is um, you know something that we probably shouldn't do so we won't but I would encourage you to uh, keep updated on it as uh, we are giving you the latest information that we have trying to get this episode out as fast as possible somebody that will be joining the fray is President Joe Biden he will make a visit to Israel tomorrow or today as you are likely hearing this demonstrating support for Israel as it works to eliminate Hamas while also pressing for ways to ease humanitarian suffering in Gaza Biden's trip will then visit Jordan where he will meet amongst other people with the head of the Palestinian Authority again that has no control over Gaza Hamas has control over Gaza but There will at least be some diplomatic meeting with Palestinian forces. By the way, among the protesters that are protesting in the West Bank are those calling for the end of the reign of Mahmoud Abbas, the head of the Palestinian Authority. In Tel Aviv, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken 
was convening a marathon session with top Israeli officials to, to discuss opening Gaza to humanitarian aid and preventing civilians from getting caught up in Israel's response to the terrorist attacks. Many citizens were told by Israel to move from northern Gaza to southern Gaza, and there is ongoing conversation with Egypt to possibly allow Palestinians into their country. The visit to Jordan will also see Joe Biden meet with King Abdullah II, President Abdel Fattah el-Sisi of Egypt, and as we mentioned before, Mahmoud Abbas. This is a high-stakes trip for Joe Biden because this is an extraordinarily fluid situation and it will certainly take on a different tinge if it is proven that the Israelis blew up that hospital. It will put a lot of pressure on Joe Biden to say something. In political news, Tim Scott's super PAC, Trust the Mission, is pulling the plug on the remainder of its $40 million in television and digital ad reservation reservations first made in July. They have cited a stuck primary field dominated by President Trump. This in a memo obtained by CNN, PAC co-chair Rob Collins wrote, The fall Republican primary is stuck. Donald Trump leads a cluster of statistically tied contenders by a wide margin. Vote share of non-Trump candidates uh, trades up and down, but no campaign has achieved breakaway uh, velocity. The fundamentals of this race remain unchanged. President Donald Trump occupies a huge lane to himself. He goes on. So we are doing what would be obvious in the business world, but will mystify politicos. We aren't going to waste our money when the electorate isn't focused or ready for a Trump alternative. We have done the research. We have studied the focus groups. We've been following Tim on the trail. This electorate is locked up and money spent on mass media isn't going to change minds until we get closer to voting. The Super PAC will continue to spend money on organizing, fundraising and hosting events, including with Scott as a special guest. Colin said in the memo that he is replicating a tactic used by the Super PAC supporting Governor Ron DeSantis. So is this a death knell? Is this something that that is is foreboding for Tim Scott? We're going to ask our guest right after this. And by this, I mean reminding you that Take Politics Seriously is where you go to support this show. At the $3 level, you get two bonus episodes each and every week. Join us there, friends. Let's get back to the program. Welcome back to the show, Dave. A pleasure and an honor to be back with you, Justin. Well, it is that time of uh, uh, the year of four times we get to have you on, especially now as it matters. The money counts indeed matter. And uh, we have some some reporting. Let's actually start on the Senate side. A lot of interesting numbers coming out here. Probably one of the most expensive races that we are going to see in this cycle is going to be for California. You have four, possibly five candidates that are going to matter here, depending on if the caretaker, Senator LaFonza Butler, decides to run. But I want to look here at Katie Porter. She's probably going to be lagging behind in terms of fundraising because she is not Adam Schiff and she's not 
coming from Emily's list, like LaFonza Butler did. Uh, but her raise this quarter was 3.4 million. She has 11.9 million cash on hand from your perspective in a state as expensive as California. Is that a good number or a bad number for her? It's a decent number for her and, and a couple of things to consider. Number one, she's already a sitting member of Congress. So as a result of that, you have money that you can transfer over from your House committee to your Senate committee. And that applies for all the candidates. So if you find yourself already holding elected office and you're not making the jump from, stay, say, a state level seat to a federal level seat, uh, or a local seat to a federal level seat, then that money is transferable and usable in the context of, in this case, a Senate race. So that goes for Adam Schiff too. But you mentioned California as a market. Well, what, California, if, if, if it was its own country, it would be the seventh or eighth largest economy in the entire world. Those are a lot of media markets. You got to advertise, you got to have staff, and you got to have them in LA and San Francisco yeah. and Oakland. And, you know, so some of the, the most expensive the I mean, media markets in the country. Yeah. And, and not just media, too, but, but actual, you know, boots on the ground, shoe leather, staffers, staffing up, offices, volunteer operation and apparatus. There's just so much that goes into running a campaign in a state like this. We're not running in Rhode Island here. Yeah. So as a result, it's just going to take that much more money in order to have a sustained campaign and one where it's not just a general election that you got to worry about. I mean, the action for the next many months is going to be at the primary level. So in, in a way, you're running two elections at the same time in a way that you just simply wouldn't in most other states, even ones that are big and expensive. And, and a reminder, again, because this is going to be confusing, and I swear if I get a single email after the primary where people don't know why there's two Democrats on the ballot, uh, uh, this is a jungle primary, which is a really, really dangerous thing for the Democrats because there is a lot of them running, and, and they all have a pretty good case for why they should be the senator, and there's only one Republican, and while they're it's unlikely that a Republican would win in the general election. A strong Republican running against four strong Democrats has a decent chance of, of squeezing into that top two slot, which is what you're going to need to do to make it into the final uh, frame there. Let's let's swing to another very populous state, the state that I am broadcasting from right now, Texas. Colin Allred is the Democrat running against Ted Cruz. He's got that Beto slot this time, which means he is going to raise a lot of money and indeed he did 4.7 million. He has 7.9 million cash on hand. Meanwhile, Cruz raised 3 million. Uh, he now has uh, Cruz's victory committee has 2 million as well. He has 5.7 million cash on hand. These numbers kind of uh, spurred a, a lot of headlines, a lot of optimism for Democrats. But we've seen this song in the past. The, the person who runs against Ted Cruz gets a lot of attention and last time got a little close with Beto, made a bit of a, a star, but he wasn't able to finish the job. Is this real or not real in terms of the amount of money brought in by Allred? So, yeah, he has the Beto slot. Yeah. And, and he doesn't yet have Beto money. He, he put up some decent numbers, yeah. no question, but. Let's remember that O'Rourke, he, he was putting up dollar figures that we had just never really seen before in U.S. political history for Senate races. Gotcha. So he's on a whole nother plane here. 
oh yeah, and and remember what happened there? He didn't win. So, <laughs> you know, whether it's this race, the California races, the presidential race, th- this kind of, if you're looking for an axiom here to hang your hat on, you you have to have money in order to be competitive. You You absolutely have to have it. If you don't have money, the chances of you winning are next to nil. But money is not a panacea. Money will not alone win you a race. Just ask uh, Michael Bloomberg mm-hmm. in the last presidential election. Uh, you can have all the money in the world, and if you don't run a good campaign or simply the electorate, the the voters are stacked against you in a way where it's just simply impossible for you to succeed, then it kind of is game over. So there has to be a confluence of factors, money, popularity, the, the factors on the ground, the news of the moment that that all conspire in a positive way for you to be successful as a candidate, particularly in a state like Texas, where if the if the Democrat is going to have any hope, there's going to have to be more things cutting Colin Allred's way than Ted Cruz's way. Ted Cruz, no matter his money, no matter if he had kind of a down fundraising quarter, he is the odds on favorite to win this race. And it's going to take something fairly monumental in order for him to lose his seat. And he's a proven winner, whether you hate the guy or love the guy, he has won races there and and he has consistently done so. And there's no indication that, that he is in uh, any more grave danger this time around than, than he was the last time around. Although a lot can happen in a year's time. Let's also remember that this is a presidential year. And that means that there's going to be a high turnout in all of these States. And when you are talking about Texas, you're talking about more Republicans coming out and voting than Democrats. That Beto Cruz slot happened in an off-year election where Democrats had mm-hmm. a good turnout. This one is not faded in the stars. So, uh, but but I think it is good, but uh, you know, to point out that all Reds numbers are good, but they're not close to Beto good, at least right now. Yeah, and that's the bottom line at this point. Now that could change too. And depending on the trajectory of this race and how much Democrats nationally are willing to invest in this race, uh, the factor of a super PAC or multiple super PACs coming and raising crazy money that can be applied and deployed in the Houston market and Austin and Dallas-Fort Worth and San Antonio, I mean, another big state with many, many, many markets and just a huge geographical footprint, that could be helpful too. But it's not going to be a panacea. Other things are going and to And if you're going to win as a Democrat, you have to play in those areas because you're not you going to win outside of those major <laughs> metropolitan areas because they are they are they are the blue superpowers that you need to turn out. Let's look at a seat that does have a lot of eyes on it because it could flip. And that's Sherrod Brown's in Ohio. Matt Dolan raised or he gave his uh, own set of committee. $3 million. He has a uh, 6.7 million cash on hand. Bernie Moreno gave himself $3 million and Sherrod Brown announcing that he raised 5.8 million. He has 11.2 on hand. Sherrod Brown is a popular Senator. Sherrod Brown just happens to be a Democrat that six years ago found himself in a purple state and now is in a red state from your financial perspective is he setting himself up in the best possible position to defend that seat for the democrats he is and the the change of the state the the shift the red shift of ohio it it may be 
too much for him to overcome, no matter his popularity. We will see. You got to run the race. But at least financially speaking, he's in decent shape right now. And he has the advantage of incumbency, which, frankly, uh, among all the things that you could have, including money, that can be the most powerful factor of all. You are a known commodity, uh, particularly if you're well-liked, even in a state where you're you're kind of on the party that's in the outs. Senate seats are, are funky like yeah. that. And Ohio is a state where you could conceivably see them having a D and an R for a significant time. Going forward, you think of another state like maybe New Hampshire that that would be akin to that, where oftentimes the the ideological balance of the state will tilt right or tilt left. Ohio's a, a different animal, but but there are some parallels and, and commonalities to to be found there. So it's going to be a hard race for him. He's going to have to raise more money. He is going to really have to uh, to to <laughs> to defend himself against some yeah. serious slings and arrows, and it may also to be a coattail factor where we're depending on the uh, way that the presidential race is shaking out, that his fortunes could be better or worse as a result of what's happening at that level in, I don't know, you know, this time next year in October. You know, when we talk about what you are buying with that money, it's oftentimes your face showing up on television. And if there's one thing that's going to happen a lot, it's going to be Donald Trump showing up in Ohio. He needs Ohio. He wants to blow people out in Ohio. He has proven himself to be extraordinarily popular in Ohio in a way that he hopes rubs off on states like Pennsylvania and Michigan that Biden won. But Trump's going to be there a lot. Uh, uh, unlike the off-year elections in, in uh, uh, 2022, he's, he's going to support the Senate candidates that are in the swing states. And this is definitely a swing state. And, and that could be a good thing, or it could be a bad thing for for Sherrod Brown. Yes. Uh, the the amount of Donald Trump there, I, I think this is not a perfect parallel, uh, but it is an Ohio situation. If you go back to the last uh, election, and you look at the um, J.R. Majewski Republican and Marcy Kaptur congressional race in the Toledo area, okay. Marcy Kaptur she won that race. She an incumbent, one of the longest serving. Democrats, one of the longest serving members of Congress of all, she had a really, really strong challenge from Majewski. Uh, he wasn't able to beat her. He was a flawed candidate. He had lied about some stuff. He had had some legal issues. So, you know, that's one race anecdotally that shows that Ohio is survivable for a Democrat in a highly, highly competitive race. Even if the the winds of politics seem to be blowing against them, it is possible for that that longtime incumbent to to go ahead and do something surprising. Because if anyone's uh, going to do case, it, it's Sherrod Brown. I mean, this this is one of those races where if Sherrod Brown loses, then the Democratic Party has to have some really hard conversations about whether or not Ohio is part of their map going forward. Because Sherrod Brown is going to be as uh, a good of a candidate as you're going to run in a situation like that. And Joe Biden is there because he is supposed to speak to the kind of Democratic voters that live in Ohio. That is. Yeah, that I is mean, the, he, he's the he's the Frodo Baggins of, of Democrats in Ohio. Like he's the last hope. Uh, <laughs> either he's going to be able to throw the ring into the exactly. volcano or not. Like, you know, he Democrats are pretty much done. If Sherrod Brown, if Sherrod Brown win, can't do it. And, and, and meanwhile, on, on the other side of that, that March of the rookies in the midterms in, in 2022 
Carrie Lake, Herschel Walker, Dr. Oz, done, right. done, done. Yep. The one that won was J.D. Vance. And that mm-hmm. happened in Ohio against Tim Ryan. So yep. we will keep an That's eye great point. on that. Let's talk about some very interesting numbers that came in. And those were sub-million dollar raises from two senators that have not, have not announced whether or not they are going to run. They are currently incumbents and nominally either caucusing with or Democrats for now. And that is Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin. Kirsten Cinema raised $825,883,000. Uh, whenever you, you get into the, the, the final three digits, you know it's not as impressive as you want <laughs> unless you're running for the house <laughs> because you want to be raising in the million. Now, she still has a ton of money. 10.7 million cash on hand. She is not officially announced. So there's a lot of but, but, buts. Big deal, little deal, or no deal that Kirsten Cinema did not raise the kind of money that you might expect from somebody that has had no trouble raising money in the past. Uh, it's a medium deal, and I think it's very much colored by the fact that there's this uncertainty. I, are you going to invest in somebody who's not all in themselves? Well, probably not. So that is definitely a factor. With both of them, uh, there may be people who are just simply waiting to see what they're going to do. And they also were not particularly aggressive in fundraising as well. So it was sort of this month in limbo and uh, in political purgatory. Use whatever Catholic uh, iconic imagery you want to use uh, in in the conversation. But for both of them, you know, the advantage that they have was the one that you stated is that they're sitting on a ton of cash. So even if this is a down quarter, even if this proves to be an anomaly, then that's something that is going to be okay. It's not like they're sitting on a million bucks. They're sitting on 10 million. They're sitting on eight figures, not seven, yeah. and, and not seven, not six. Uh, so they're going to be okay if they decide to go forward with this from a cash standpoint. The, the huge question, of course, is, well, what the heck is going to possibly happen in this bonkers race in Arizona yeah. and this bonkers race in West Virginia? which are going to take on a life of their own that's going to look very, very different than most of the Senate races that are being waged in the United States in 2024. And unlike some of these other states that we've talked about, Arizona is not that expensive. It's got a major media market, but it ain't that expensive to run in Flagstaff. Uh, and West Virginia is cheap. You know, so the, the, but then again, that race and, and let's switch over to Joe Manchin here. He didn't raise a lot. I don't think he's going to have a problem raising a lot of money because he is. I mean, if Sherrod Brown is the the Frodo Baggins of uh, the Democrats in Ohio, then uh, Joe Manchin is the the one miracle that they are hoping. He is the last best possible hope for a Democrat holding a Senate seat in West Virginia forever. It's either him or nobody. He would be running against Jim Justice, another former governor. They would either of them would have any problem with name recognition. And yet the question is, does he want to? Because it would be an uphill race. And Joe Manchin's pretty free about the fact that he doesn't. He he likes the fact that he has a perfect record, that he's never lost a race. This one would be a little dicey. And he also likes the fact that he is the the drama king of mm-hmm. all senators. Mm-hmm. And he he loves that kind of attention. He, he loves being Joe Manchin uh, as much as anyone in the Senate loves being who they are. And as a result, ego factors into this in, in a major way, being the 
the ultimate wild card who the Senate in 2024 or going into 2025 is almost certainly going to be tight again in terms of the balance of power. So Joe Manchin, he wields a a great deal of power. Uh, Arguably, he's been the most powerful or among the most powerful senators in the U.S. Senate, either party, for for the aggregate past five, 10 years uh, in, in certain applications. So you know, he if he chooses to run, he's got a very good chance here, even if this is a totally Republican state yeah. and no other Democrat would have a chance. Joe Manchin has a chance because he is Joe Manchin and he's just the one outlier Democrat who doesn't often act like a Democrat. But the Democratic Party still wants him yes. despite all of the things over the past many years, because Joe Manchin is still going to be better than any Republican in their estimation and gives them a shot one seat more at retaining a majority. And that is the consideration that really overrides all others. This would probably be the biggest variance in fundraising if he runs or doesn't run, right? Because I I would imagine if he runs, he's going to get a tremendous amount of financial support because the Democrats have no choice but to put every dime they can to try to keep that seat. But if he doesn't run, I feel like (laughs) the Democrats could just erase West Virginia from their map. Yeah. Uh, so there's a blank line right there. And and whatever gigantic dollar figure they put in there is going to be contingent on Joe Manchin running. Yes. And if he doesn't run, that that line will be blank. And, yes. and that's really all you need to that's know. That's that. Well, let's take a look at the Republican, the deteriorating <laughs> Republican uh, uh, primary here. You had a decent number by Ron DeSantis, not as much as he's raised in the past, ridiculed by the Trump team. Do you think that Ron DeSantis's reporting uh, financially is, you know, where on the sign from okay to death knell would you put it? Are we talking money or are we talking overriding existential? I'll, I'll answer your question with a question. I, I would say let's start with money because I, I, I think that the entire primary right now is just this kind of exercise of, well, the last thing that could happen is a bunch of people dropping out and Iowa and New Hampshire becoming more one-on-one races. That doesn't seem to be happening right now. So everything is in stasis. And if it stays in stasis, then Donald Trump just slowly gets more popular than everybody else. I don't see anybody really making any moves. But Ron DeSantis raised a lot of money. He's got an incredibly powerful super PAC that is that is behind him. Nobody else in this field has raised the kind of cash that he has raised. So is that still the case or has the faucet began to drip? Well, if, if one is a death knell, put put DeSantis at about a four okay. when it when it becomes for money. And here's why. His cash burn is really high. And that's and been a persistent problem for him. And it's been a persistent problem, and it's still a problem. So let's go back a few months. Ron DeSantis has relaunched or rebooted his campaign a couple of times now. He's cut a lot of staff. And still, with a diminished staff the way that it is right now, with him pretty much just kind of going all in on Iowa yep. at this point and and sending the forces to 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 mount their Movie, mo- their moving everybody from not- Tallahassee to Des Moines they are they are all they're living at a pizza ranch right now 
let, let's not call it a final stand, but but if it's not, then it's a second to yeah. last stand for Ron DeSantis. So he he is running a diminished campaign and yet is still just about breaking even. So it, while Donald Trump is banking money, Ron DeSantis is just kind of holding holding the course and 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 not setting himself up for a big final push or having a, a overwhelming amount of money that he can use. And not only Iowa, but South Carolina and New Hampshire and Nevada, all the way on to Super Tuesday. So it's kind of an all or nothing type deal that he's finding himself in here. And and that's not the greatest position <laughs> that one wants to be in to totally understate the case uh, here in October. And yes, he has that super PAC. Yes, it has a lot of money. But at the same time, too, let's remember the great weakness about a super PAC. Number one, it doesn't get favorable rates on television because it's not the campaign committee, uh, which is something that is oftentimes overlooked, but is very important. And second, too, even though you can wink, wink and nod, nod between the super PAC and the candidate committee, the candidate committee doesn't command and control the super PAC. So there is a a loss of efficiency there, if you will. So it's like your your cousin running your operation on your behalf, but you can't tell your cousin chapter and verse what to do all the time. And maybe your cousin is going to have an idea or two that you don't like and what happens then. So that super PACs are a double edged sword. Mostly they help you, but they can hurt you a little bit, too. Well, if that's a four, then what is Tim Scott's campaign canceling television advertisements, as we reported here right before you came on? Uh, where, where does that rank in the in the in the death knell ratings with one being absolute death? Yeah, I mean, Tim, Tim Scott, he he has just not run a particularly good campaign. Uh, if, if he doesn't even have a, a shot at this point, of, he, he might finish third or fourth in his own home state if things uh, are are to go he, he wishes he'll, he'll the make it there. i mean because he like that, uh, if he's, he he's running the evangelical lane which means he has to win iowa right if you don't win iowa when you're when you're stalking the church pews like he is then you're toast so like that's i've always found the idea that him and nikki haley i'm like look one of them maybe makes it to their home state but when we get into this situation where, you know, we we're, we're, we have we got a long cold winter ahead of us, and in January we're going to get to Iowa. That's a long time to pay people. It's a long time to try and you know this is the time where you should be surging in Iowa. You should be getting more volunteers and more infrastructure there because this is when it's going to absolutely matter. Uh, you know, if you're canceling ads now, boy, you. It 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 smells a little gamey. And and Tim Scott and, and Mike Pence both are, yeah. are walking through Iowa wondering, where have my Christians gone? Why have you <laughs> forsaken me? So, you know, I mean it, it's bleak. And if they if they can't find success in the lane that they're running in in Iowa, then they're sure not going to find it in New Hampshire and in South Carolina. Well, you know, that speaks for itself at this point. So Tim Scott. If there's good news to be had for him, he's still sitting on a ton of money. In fact, after Donald Trump, Tim Scott, at least in terms of the money that he directly controls, is sitting number two in the race. And a lot of that in term, came in terms from of cash on transfer, hand. In terms of cash on hand. And a lot of that came from at what, what he did when he first entered the race was his transfer a boatload of money 
from his Senate campaign that he was sitting on over there to his presidential campaign. His fundraising has been meh, to use a technical term, Mm -hmm. and he just hasn't really been able to overall get the traction that that he needs to be competitive. And and for a while, for, for just maybe a little while, he was actually doing fairly well in Iowa. He was yep. doing fairly well in New Hampshire. He was in that sort of top five and then cracking to four or three. Uh, but his debate performances have been mediocre. That first debate that he was in where he really had his first best opportunity to make a move, well, Nikki Haley kind of ate his mm-hmm. lunch in, in the two debates, and, and Tim Scott just kind of fell a little bit to the wayside, despite there being some internal support among Republicans from you know, Newt Gingrich to other sitting members who, who really love the idea of Tim Scott as a standard bearer for the party, but that's not going to win you votes in Iowa and New Hampshire, et cetera. I said it before. I think it's worthwhile to say again that whomever in the Tim Scott campaign recommended that an unmarried man bicker with a woman on stage about curtains needs to be fired into the sun. That is political <laughs> malpractice political malpractice for that campaign no no amount of money is going to fix that nikki haley how is she looking Uh, she seems to be you know there's there's uh, obviously a lot of talk about consolidation this is about when that happens nikki haley is if you are not enthused by ron desantis you have seen you have sampled the desantis and you are left wanting for somebody that is not donald trump it seems like nikki haley is it how is she looking financially well, it's it's not Doug Burgum or Larry Elder, I can tell you that. So she's been able to, in this field where it just seems ossified and nobody is really making a move or the only moves that are being made are down for candidates not yeah. named Donald Trump, Nikki Haley has been that that one exception, not a huge exception at this point, but an exception enough where her fundraising She's doing, she's out, she's overperforming. Uh, her fundraising, let's recall at the beginning of this year, it was trash. Yeah. And there was a weird moment where she even had like some funky math things oh, going on. Yeah. And over she had, she had some, some discrepancies. Yeah. Yeah. And, and things were not, things were not looking great. Uh, they were definitely not off on the right foot. And she has rebounded. She has had some strong performances. She has run a really strong grassroots operation in New Hampshire. The retail politicking that she's done has been solid, and she's sitting on you know just short of twelve million dollars going into October from when the numbers uh, were were dropped uh, through September thirtieth. So let's just say that she is overperforming based on the expectations that were set earlier this year. Yeah. Is that going to be enough for her to make any difference in this race? Um, probably not. To be realistic about it, because. You just have to simply say two more words after Nikki Haley, which is Donald Trump, yeah. and and you probably get your answer. But you know the Hail Mary pass always can can work, not often, but but it does. So she's looking for a few things that are really going to have to cut her way, including, of course, Donald Trump's legal situation, uh, which uh, could could help any of these candidates, but it probably could help Nikki Haley the most in the sense that she has been willing to separate herself from Donald Trump more than most of the candidates. DeSantis has been little Johnny come lately uh, to that debate. But Nikki Haley, kind of from the get-go, has has seen a little bit more daylight than some of these other candidates, save for Chris Christie. Let's keep him out of the conversation. He's he's, he's a 
a, a creature unto himself when it comes to that. But Nikki Haley has certainly done the hokey pokey on whether or not she likes Donald Trump or she hates Donald Trump. So we'll, we'll see whether or not that'll stick. Uh, let me just go big picture with you on the way out here. When since you've been uh, coming on the show, it feels like there has been, especially this time of year, we get record breaking numbers. We get gobsmacking uh, uh, reports of oodles of cash that we have never seen before. And this time it it feels like we've come back to normal. Has some of the fever broken in terms of massive super halls when it comes to fundraising for candidates up and down the ballot? Yeah. And, and there's a couple of reasons for that. You have some mega donors who are not playing ball this time. Okay. So you've got, for example, <laughs> the, the situation, and I, I'm laughing um, uh, inappropriately here because you have some mega donors who, who have died. Okay. Yeah. Shelton Adelson being the biggest of them yep. all, we're talking about the biggest of the biggest donors who just isn't around anymore physically. Yes. He, he, has, he has shed the mortal yes, coil. Yes. He is not, he's not with us in a corporeal sense. And, and that's, you know, a hundred plus million dollars every election cycle that Republicans were counting on that no longer is there. And, and Miriam Adelson, his wife, uh, she has not carried the torch and she's not in the political game uh, in the way that her husband was. So that's a factor. You have people like Robert Mercer, who mm -hmm. have, in essence, were huge supporters of Donald Trump in the get go and have sworn him off and in our, our have taken their eight figure amounts and in taking their ball and gone home. Uh, even Peter Thiel uh, yeah. is really pulled back from where he was. And, you know, this is a guy who spoke just a couple of speakers before Donald Trump accepted the Republican Party nomination yep. in 2016. He was there in prime time on the stage setting Donald Trump up. And now he is gone. Poof. And his money is gone with it. So when the presidential numbers are what they are and, and the super PAC numbers in aggregate are less than they used to be at this point in time, that's not surprising because the big dollar money game has become less of a factor, still a huge factor, but less of a factor for Republicans in general than it was four years ago at this time or six years or eight years ago at this time. That's a big deal. It's a huge story that could change in 2024. But Donald Trump is just simply too toxic for some of these big dollar donors. Donald Trump's small and, dollar And he also doesn't need him, story into right? Itself. He's not going to go bow and scrape in the same way that some of the other candidates were, or he would back in 2016 when, when you, totally. you needed uh, more blood into the body to make things run. But I would say it's even on the Democratic side too, right? If you look at this, you know, Colin Allred thing, it's, it's you know, granted he might not be Beto, but uh, it seems like there's not the same kind of all in uh, uh, the 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 act blue numbers are just bananas and bonkers and maybe it's a candidate thing but it doesn't feel like we have the new crop of stars that are announced to us in segments like this because they just raised 20 million dollars out of nowhere now uh, and the democrats don't have it either so that there there's certainly a lot of motivation i think to to donate money that will build over the course of time but also, too, there's the Joe Biden factor. You're going to yeah. have some people are like, ah, OK, well, fine. Yeah, I want Joe Biden to win more than Donald Trump or any of the other Republicans. But I am also just on a personal level, not really excited about electing Joe Biden. Again, people are saying that that's a real phenomenon. And the Democrats at the national level 
they're they're kind of scared out of their knickers here yes. about the prospect of of not raising crazy money. Joe Biden had a perfectly fine third quarter. It wasn't anything that you, you are going to write home about and nothing to panic about if you're a Democrat. But it, it wasn't blow you away great where Joe Biden's already raising $100 million or something. Not that anyone was expecting that he would. But keep an eye on that, too. He's got no competition yeah. and he's the only game in town. So, OK, you know, maybe <laughs> maybe you would expect to be putting up a little bit better numbers. There, there is some apathy. And, uh, and, and that is reflected in his approval rating. It's reflected in the fact that uh, all things being equal, a lot of Democrats would like somebody else, whoever that person is, to, to be running instead of Joe Biden. But that's not going to happen. It, it feels like the 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 doth protest too much election for all of the discourse about how America <laughs> does not want Trump and does not want Biden. It is betrayed by the fact that they are almost certainly going to face off. So there is there is not the real will to do uh, uh, to do dislodge either of them. We kind of want to see uh, King Kong fight Godzilla one more time. But uh, I think it is fascinating if you look at all of the without a doubt, there are more hold your nose voters this time. It, it feels at least yeah. uh, going forward. And if that's the case, maybe it's hard to hit that button on your app when you already have one hand holding your nose. So maybe they can uh, redesign WinRed and Act Blue for a one-handed experience. Dave <laughs> Leventhal, Raw Story, thank you so much uh, for joining us. What do you guys got cooking over there? My pleasure. Uh, well, we've got a couple of uh, really fun things uh, working, and I would uh, point you to another kind of, since we're talking about money, Another thing that uh, a colleague of mine, Alexandria Jacobson, uh, she just won the ION Award for it. In mm -hmm. fact, uh, she's been tracking all year long all the members of Congress who are making really, really, really interesting stock investments, personal stock investments. And finding, for example, just had a story today about uh, another senator, Mark Wayne Mullen from, uh, from Oklahoma, who sits on the Senate Armed Services Committee. And well, lo and behold, he's uh, investing big money in Raytheon, a defense huh. contractor. So she's picking out all of these little twists and turns, in addition to finding more than two dozen members of Congress, Democrats and Republicans who have violated the Stop Trading on Congressional Knowledge Act of 2012 by just simply not disclosing their stock <laughs> trades at all, oh. which they have to do by law on time yeah. with the, with, with, you know, by the deadline that Congress had uh, prescribed for itself. So she's been all, all over this. And uh, I would read her stuff because she is reporting in a way that uh, no other reporter in these great United States of America is doing on this particular topic. Sounds fantastic. And we encourage you to read it just as we encourage Dave Leventhal to come on and talk about all of the money stuff. Thanks again, Dave. Anytime, any place. Thank you. And uh, that'll wrap it up for us today. Politics, 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 written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young, for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. If you'd like to thank Dave Leventhal for joining the show, you can do so. PX3 guest. Dot com. You can always send me an email, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Find us on X. <laughs> PX3 tweets for the show. Justin R. Young for me. Find me live on Twitch, px3live.com, and share this podcast with your friends, family, and clergy, px3podcast.com. If you'd like to hit me with a one time donation, one time. 
PayPal.me slash PayJury. Venmo is Justin-Young-20. Cash app is PX3 Cash. And you can send me anything you'd like in the mail. P.O. Box 1531-84, Austin, Texas, 78715. Again, that is Post Office Box 1531-84, Austin, Texas, 78715. Of course, if you want to get our bonus content, you can do so at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. The $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news that we missed on our free podcasting schedule and our $10 tier gets your name right at the end of the show like these fine folks in the Titanic $10 tier including ye old pinball shop John DP4 Bongo Sam John Edwin Kathy Mack and vote Gloria Young for King of the New World Order Brian Edison Jeremy a dog named Chucker. Sarah, Jeannie, Matthew, Dr. G, Neil, His Nerdiness, Charles, Darren, Idris, Arslanian, Berkeley, Stephen, Nomadic, Taryn, Molly's Delightful Demeanor, Adam, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul, Dustin, Brad, D-Laser, Nick Wood, Just Another Pilot, Middle-Aged Mike, Utah, Jimmy Montana, and Jen D, Really Chopper. Andrew and Adam L. If you'd like your name right on the show, only one place to do it. Take politics com. on our Friday episode. We will bring you an interview with our friend and longtime collaborator of mine, Brian Brushwood. We will also have an update on whatever the hell's happening. I mean, really, you got to be on the three dollar level. This is a good week to be on that because by Thursday, we will know that's the late edition, at least more than we do now. So, uh, you know, not to plug the Patreon, but there you go. Plug, 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 plug. Till next time, this is your old pal, Justin Robert Young, saying some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more discuss politics. But this, this is the only show that dares discuss. Oh! Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. (laughs) Dog and Pony Show Audio.